You're listening to the Nixon Now Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mavroidis. This is brought to you by the Nixon Foundation. We're broadcasting from the Richard Nixon Presidential Library in Yorba Linda, California. You can follow us on Twitter at Nixon Foundation or at nixonfoundation.org. This week marks the 50th anniversary of President Nixon's special message to the Congress on the control of narcotics and dangerous drugs. President Nixon said, A national awareness of the gravity of the situation is needed. A new urgency and concerted national policy are needed at the federal level to begin to cope with this growing menace to the general welfare of the United States. To discuss this issue with us today is Dr. Robert DuPont. Dr. DuPont is a psychiatrist who served as director of the White House Special Action Office on Drug Abuse Prevention, popularly known today as the nation's drug czar. Dr. DuPont, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be with you. Just as a primer, uh, could you start off telling us a little bit about about your background? (laughs) Well... Uh, I uh, uh, went to Emory for college and then Harvard Medical School for my medical education and became a psychiatrist. And uh, then uh, because of the Vietnam War, when every physician had to do two years of service, uh, I chose working at NIH. So I went to work at NIH. And then uh, in 1968, uh, July 1st, uh, I went to find my first job uh, outside of my training at the age of 32, which is kind of amazing to think about it. Uh, but I had worked one day a week at a state prison in Massachusetts called the Norfolk prison and was utterly fascinated by the prisoners, who they were and what their stories were. And I decided I wanted to make my uh, career in helping uh, people who are in prison, not because I didn't like them, because I did care about them and like them, uh, and, uh, wanted to make a contribution. So I went to work in the district of Columbia department of corrections on July 1st, 1968, uh, in the middle of the presidential campaign uh, as, a, as a committed Democrat, which I've been all my life, uh, and uh, started work there uh, and uh, was interested in, in pr- prison reform, as we talk about it now, uh, particularly community corrections uh, was, was my interest. Uh, alternatives to incarceration were important to me, but basically to deal with the, pro- the real problems of, of crime and criminals and to, to help them and to also reduce the problem of crime. You um, made your career in the White House uh, as a um, as the as the drugs are. Could you give us a little context about what the was there a drug epidemic in the 1960s? Well, there was, and I think people don't really understand what what it was like in 1968 and, and early 1969. Uh, The country had experienced a a dramatic, unprecedented, uh, massive drug epidemic uh, starting in the mid-1960s and building. So it was still uh, in a a very uh, steep upward trajectory uh, in uh, in 1968, early 1969. Uh, There were two pillars of it that, that were big focuses. One was the increase of marijuana use. Uh, which was uh, uh, unprecedented and uh, uh, very uh, worrisome to to many people. And the other was heroin addiction. And the heroin problem was associated with crime, uh, and which was also increasing very rapidly at that point. Uh, The District of Columbia was then uh, controlled by the federal government. The uh, president appointed the mayor uh, at that time uh, of District of Columbia. And Richard Nixon in the campaign in 68 had labeled Washington, D.C., the crime capital of the country uh, because of its, of its rising crime rate. Lyndon Johnson 
uh, had uh, appointed a crime commission because he was concerned about it, too. It wasn't something that Richard Nixon made up. It was a, a very serious uh, uh, problem uh, uh, to, to face, the, the country faced. And there was a lot of uh, fear, I think would be the way to say it. And said, so where is this going? What's happening? Why, why is this happening? What do we do about it? Uh, and it was a, uh, a, a it was a time of uh, tremendous turmoil in the country. Uh, I, I was uh, uh, working in, at NIH in the months leading up to to my my going to work in the in the uh, District Columbia Department of Corrections. And uh, I, my hero at that time, two heroes were Bobby Kennedy and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And they were both assassinated uh, at, at that time. It was a very uh, tumultuous period of uh, American history, and uh, drugs and crime were absolutely at the center of it. How do we how do we basically get there? Was there a, I mean was there a underlying context for the drug issue, the rampant drug use during that period? Uh, well, there's a lot of speculation about that. I sort of a simple way to say it, and, and obviously it was much more than this was it had to do with baby boomers uh, getting into uh, mid and late adolescence. Uh, that uh, incredible demographic uh, event uh, was uh, led to what we call the, the youth movement. Uh, it was disruptive of all kinds of uh, institutions. Uh, probably the worst job in the country in 1968 was to be a college uh, president. The disruptions uh, in our country is, uh, uh, in, in 1968 are... Uh, 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 remarkable uh, and and I think quite quite unprecedented and, and uh, drugs and crime were absolutely at the center of that. Nixon believed um, that law and order was a was a major issue in 1960. In fact, he campaigned. Uh, one of the things he campaigned on items was uh, the law and order issue. Um, he explained this as there was too much of a permissive society that the criminal forces. Uh, we're beating at the peace forces in a society. Do you do you believe that the drug treatment issue or, or um, drug enforcement issue is a law enforcement issue or is it a treatment issue? Probably the most pernicious uh, uh, way uh, uh, and destructive way of thinking about drug policy uh, is what you just did, which is to define the challenge as choosing between law enforcement or treatment, as if uh, that that's the critical policy choice. Uh, my whole career has been built on a different way of thinking about it, and that is that law enforcement is an absolutely essential part of a public health approach to the drug problem. Uh, and where the goal of public policy is to get the criminal justice system and the health system to work better together to deal with this problem, that they can do things together that they can't do that they can't do alone, uh, and to talk about law enforcement for just a moment, uh, in particular, there are two major functions of law enforcement in, in drug uh, policy. The first one, which is really important, is supply reduction uh, to uh, inhibit, uh, suppress the supply of drugs. Uh, if you if you throw away law enforcement and just make all drugs available to anybody who wants to buy them. Uh, you've got a pretty uh, disruptive social and destructive uh, social situation. You, you can't live like that. Uh, so law enforcement is essential in terms of supply reduction. Not that it stops it, 
but that it, it raises the price and, and makes it more difficult for people to sell to sell drugs. So that's important. But the other thing is law enforcement is also a, a driver of recovery. Uh, it's a it's a way for people with uh, drug problems to uh, get some time uh, to think about things better and to get often get into treatment. Drug courts are a good example of that. But for a long time, uh, uh, getting arrested has been a an important uh, avenue for people to uh, uh, confront and overcome uh, drug problems. So uh, we got five million people on probation and parole in the country. Uh, about two-thirds of them have uh, substance abuse problems, often with alcohol, not just illegal drugs. And the criminal justice system can do a lot to, uh, and does a lot, uh, and can do better uh, in terms of helping people uh, get into recovery. So it's very important uh, a, a, about this. And so seeing it as, as opposing is exactly the wrong way to, to formulate uh, the issue. And you see this about the, the idea of legalizing drugs as a solution to the problem. Uh, you know, uh, we have a lot more problems with alcohol than we do with any other drug because it's legal. Uh, and uh, we're now going through the experience of legalizing marijuana and uh, and having it commercially exploited and uh, get an idea of how that's uh, working out in terms of the uh, promotion of marijuana use. And there are people who want to do that with all drugs, heroin included, and, and uh, methamphetamine. Uh, and I think that that's the, the, the folks who think that way uh, are not uh, thinking very clearly about uh, uh, what this, the consequences, health consequences are of, of that approach. What do you think Nixon's overarching view of the drug issue was at this period of time? Well, I want to go back to the to the uh, to the statement he made to the Congress uh, in July 14th, 1969. Uh, it, it's a remarkable document. Uh, it was less than five months into his presidency, uh, and he put down a marker that is uh, uh, historic. Uh, it it dealt with the uh, the, the major uh, elements of this. It definitely focused on on law enforcement. But it wasn't only that. He, he was very concerned with what he called rehabilitation. Uh, he wanted to do that. He was very interested in research. He was concerned about the uh, Department of Health, Education, and Welfare uh, getting involved in, uh, in this uh, and, 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 and the international aspects of it. Because uh, in those days, the drugs all came from overseas. The heroin uh, was from poppies uh, grown in Turkey and processed in Marseille and what's called the French Connection. And so there was a tremendous uh, uh, international uh, dimension to it, too. And it, it, to, to read now, as I have recently been doing, thanks to you bringing it to my attention, uh, this uh, document is the special message to Congress on the control of narcotics and dangerous drugs is, is, is actually very, very impressive uh, to see uh, how early it was. The entire uh, drug uh, laws of drugs the National Controlled Substances Act uh, was the result exactly of the result of uh, what Nixon said in this in this message to Congress. That's still the basic law uh, to deal with drugs. Uh, all those all those years later, uh, in uh, you know that, that's where it started. Uh, he he was the one who who got the. Uh, uh, the first White House drug office, and that still goes on today. We still have, we've had 17 drug czars. Uh, and uh, 
uh, uh, that started with Nixon. That never happened uh, before. He started the National Institute on Drug Abuse, of which I was the first director. Uh, he started the Drug Enforcement Administration, and that goes on in leading things uh, today. Uh, all of this is taste back to uh, uh, the, the Nixon administration and, and two other things that people don't realize. He, he, he really approved and, and supported the development of medication-assisted treatment, as we call it now, in methadone. Uh, at the time, the, the two uh, Republican uh, leaders on drug policy in the country uh, were John Lindsay, uh, the mayor of New York, and Nelson Rockefeller, the governor of New York. And it's interesting that, that Nelson Rockefeller put his a, a administration committed to a civil commitment. Uh, that, was, that was what he, he did. He responded to the drug problem with civil commitment. And John Lindsay responded to it with the Therapeutic Communities, uh, Phoenix House program, and related to that. Nixon alone picked out medication-assisted treatment. He picked out methadone. Uh, as a as a centerpiece, that that was very different uh, from what those other people were doing, and of course that also uh, presaged the the uh, current focus on medication assisted treatment, including now buprenorphine and naltrexone. So all of that looks looks uh, very impressive. Uh, and moving Nixon is often, and he no doubt he had a strong uh, uh, commitment to law enforcement. But what, what's missing is. But what Nixon did was, for the first time in the nation's history, balance that law enforcement with a major investment in treatment. And that was characteristic of his administration. He wasn't a law enforcement only. He wanted to do both. And he really started uh, the, uh, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, for example. Uh, it's, it's very striking. And they were so polarized, now people don't realize that that the bill 92255 establishing this with the White House Drug Office and the National Institute on Drug Abuse passed Congress without a dissenting vote. Everybody supported it. Uh, the country was very well aware that it had a serious problem, did not look upon the drug uh, response as partisan, and saw Nixon as a, 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 a leader with a, with a broad interest in the, in, in the public health. Could you talk, you, you were talking a little bit about the, you can't think of this as purely a law enforcement issue or purely a treatment issue, that, that the, the instruments of government have to take a holistic approach and, and of society in general have to take a holistic approach in dealing with this issue. Uh, the, the July 14th message talks about the enforcement side. It talks about legislation, um, international yeah. cooperation, uh, and suppression. You talked a little bit about the uh, the Control Substance of Act, Substances Act of 1970. But could you talk? Could you first start out talk about a little bit about some of the measures that uh, the Nixon administration talked first uh, uh, took first on the enforcement side, uh, like with the French, you know, um, um, disrupting the French well, connection. There, there's a, there's a, that, that's another phenomenal example of the president, President Nixon. Taking this on as a as a primary a, a priority and making it as priority for his State Department, he, he negotiated with Turkey to absolutely stop any cultivation of poppies. That was extraordinary. He just closed down the poppy growing in Turkey, and he closed down the French connection. He got working with France. Uh, those countries were not interested in doing that. Uh, but he made it a, a presidential priority. 
he sent the State Department uh, out to do that. And that was that was remarkable, and it had a profound uh, positive effect uh, to uh, to do that. Now. It, it didn't last in a sense because the, the poppy cultivation moved other places. That's true, but it was a, an incredible example of uh, prioritizing the supply issue and, and taking uh, vigorous and effective action uh, to, uh, to stop it. It was, it was, it was a, a, a tremendous example of presidential leadership. On the rehabilitation side, you were talking a little bit about uh, methadone and methadone treatment centers. Could you tell us about how this policy came to to fruition? (laughs) I sure can. Uh, Vincent Dole and Marie Neiswinder, uh, he was a metabolic researcher, a physician. She was a psychiatrist who knew something about addiction because she had worked with addicts in the Lexington uh, program, a federal government program. Uh, started a program, uh, a, a, a radical new way of thinking about heroin addiction uh, in 1965. Uh, and what they found was that by uh, giving uh, heroin addicts a once a day oral dose of methadone, uh, they could uh, uh, get them to stop using heroin. And uh, when they stopped using heroin, they didn't need to commit crimes to support the habit and they could uh, get jobs and do all kinds of things uh, that they couldn't do while they were actively using. And, and uh, at the time, the alternative to that was, was what's called the, the British system, which was to give the addicts heroin. Uh, the idea being that uh, uh, the heroin addiction wasn't the problem. It was the law enforcement was the problem. And if we gave them the, the heroin, they wouldn't commit crimes, so they would be away from the the drug dealers, and that, that didn't work very well, but the methadone did work well. And, and I was, as I'd mentioned earlier, working in the DC Department of Corrections, and I did a, a study in, in, in 1969 uh, that showed that 44% of the people coming into the DC jail uh, were heroin addicts, and that if you uh, put the, uh, charted out the, uh, the year they first used heroin against the crime rate, you could see that the the uh, crime rate in District of Columbia uh, was tracking right with the heroin problem in the city. And so that, that okay, so what do we do to treat heroin addicts? And I uh, went up to New York and learned from Vincent Dole and Ray Neiswider about this. And I started the first methadone program in Washington, D.C. Uh, on September 15, 1969, very shortly after this message. Uh, and because Washington was controlled by the, the White House, uh, and a fellow named Eagle Krogh was the person in charge of relating to the White House. Uh, and and, and uh, President Nixon reappointed Walter Washington uh, to be mayor. He was first appointed by uh, uh, Pre- President Johnson, but Nixon appointed him. And that was a very positive step uh, for the city of Washington. Uh, the, the, uh, Nixon observed what was going on in the city, uh, what was going on in our a methadone program, which treated 15,000 heroin addicts in the course of three years and dropped the, uh, the uh, monthly rate of crime by half in that period of time. It was a dramatic effect. And Nixon saw that, and that led to him uh, uh, getting uh, the attorney general uh, and the Food and Drug Administration together to approve this treatment uh, in, uh, in 1972. 
Uh, and that that opened up the door for medication-assisted treatment. And it, it was because he had seen in Washington, D.C., uh, this uh, dramatic change. Uh, now, I was the one who started that program. And as a result of that work and my work with uh, the Nixon White House, I became the second White House drug czar uh, uh, after my colleague, Jer- Jerome Jaffe. Uh, I uh, started in uh, 1973. Uh, and uh, it was it was totally um, not ideological. It was totally empirical, totally practical, totally based on results uh, that that Nixon uh, uh, did this. Did you see a um, with the with the with the federal mandate on methadone um, and the president's involvement and, and the development of? Um, methadone treatment centers across the country. Did you see a drop in national crime rates? Uh, there was, there was, uh, yes, there was an effect on it, uh, but the, the national effect was not so obvious because it was the effect, the, the number of people treated was much, the percentage of the people treated was way smaller. We were never able to du- duplicate what happened in the district because there wasn't enough uh, uh, treatment to do that. It was it was not big enough to be seen uh, in that kind of. What we did see was the people who were in the methadone treatment committed a lot less crimes than they had before they were on methadone treatment. So that's where we saw it. Not so much in the in the, in the in the national uh, crime statistics. Um, and but the other thing about methadone was it was extremely controversial. Uh, and uh, it also got involved in, in racial politics uh, in the in the country because many of the heroin addicts were black, uh, and there was a and, and a, a sort of an historically remarkable uh, feeling by some people uh, in the uh, in the black community that uh, that methadone was bad, that it was uh, contrary to to their interests, uh, and uh, was sort of a I don't know, a, a Nixon idea, a, a Republican, a conservative idea, a white idea. Uh, and uh, that was very interesting because the mayor of Washington was Walter Washington, who was black. Uh, and I was right in the middle of that uh, controversy. And it's ironic now that the uh, that she was on the other foot and uh, Methodon is seen as a liberal approach and a pro-black uh, approach. And uh, the other approaches are often thought about as, as more conservative. So that is switched around. But at the time Nixon did that, because he was so visible in it all, it got labeled as uh, political. And that uh, was, a, was a challenge in terms of the implementation. Turning to Vietnam, uh, there was a reported heroin epidemic among U.S. soldiers uh, in the Vietnam War, and the Nixon administration wanted to deal with this. How did the Nixon administration deal with it? Uh, Very effectively and very, uh, very powerfully. Uh, The the, the war had started in uh, 1965, something like that. Uh, And by 68, it was uh, really... uh, uh, very, very uh, uh, turbulent, very difficult. We, the Tet Offensive was February of 68, 1968, uh, and the, the controversies about it were very intense. Uh, but what was, was not so obvious at the time was in the early years of that war, heroin was not an issue for U.S. troops, 
But starting in about 1970, it became very common and, and was, was, was epidemic among the troops. Uh, that became a political issue in, in late 1970 and early 1971. Uh, and uh, it threatened uh, the, the, the public support for the war effort, which was already uh, under attack uh, at that time. And so uh, in the spring of 1971, uh, Nixon uh, shifted uh, his focus about drugs uh, to uh, include uh, the Vietnam War. And so when he established the first White House Drug Office on June 17, 1971, uh, a major focus was Vietnam. And that drug czar, Jerome Jaffe, was on an airplane going to Saigon. Uh, the very day he was appointed by the president of the job. And what Nixon did uh, in, in Vietnam was uh, bring uh, drug testing to the military for the first time to identify heroin use. And that identification, if, if a person, if a soldier tested or, or a general, all, all the way from the general to the private, all were tested. Uh, th if they were positive, they, they couldn't leave Vietnam. They would be uh, kept there until they were clean. Uh, and and that, uh, that intervention that Jerome Jaffe uh, spearheaded uh, uh, in, in the summer of 1971 was very important uh, to taking that issue uh, pretty much off of the, uh, the political uh, spectrum, certainly reducing it very dramatically. It was a, it was a, uh, a signal uh, accomplishment of uh, administration uh, and leadership uh, to uh, to deal with the problem directly uh, and that uh, drug testing. Nobody had ever done the drug test like this before because there weren't testing. The testing technology was very inferior, but this was a new kind of automated uh, uh, testing uh, called an immunoassay test that made it possible to test large numbers of people uh, for uh, drug, uh, for heroin in particular. And uh, so the first thing that, uh, that uh, he did uh, when Nixon appointed him uh, on June 17th, 1971, was get on an airplane and go over to Saigon and implement this. And it, it had a pr very profound beneficial effect of discouraging heroin use and, and really uh, took this issue off the political agenda, the, the heroin use in Vietnam off, off of the agenda uh, nationally. It was a, 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 a remarkable success of science and public health in terms of dealing uh, with, this, with this problem. And uh, I give a lot of credit to Jerry Jaffe and, of course, for, for President Nixon for, uh, uh, for doing that. So Nixon gives the message, the July 14th message, 1969, on, on, um, on to Congress on the uh, on the control of narcotics and dangerous drugs, uh, the Controlled Substances Substance Act passes in 1970. Um, there's this focus on heroin epidemic among U.S. soldiers in Vietnam in 70 and 71. Um, and June 17, 1971, uh, President Nixon Nixon announces the first uh, White House drug czar uh, Jerome Jaffe. Um, the DEA and the the DEA is uh, created. Um, a little bit later, in, in the NIDA in 1973. What happened beyond that? You were drug czar between 73 and 77. How did the drug policy evolve within the Nixon administration and other presidents as well since 
since the well, of course, the, the uh, I, I was the drug czar uh, for Nixon's second term. Jerome Jaffe was there in the first term, uh, and uh, uh, Gerald Ford came in to finish the the term uh, 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 that started in the election of seventy two, uh, and uh, I was there for for that transition uh, also, uh, and 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 basically what happened was uh, uh, the uh, National Institute on Drug Abuse uh, was very visible. In those days, now it's part of NIH, and in those days it had a research component, but it also, uh, treatment uh, and prevention were also part of NIDA. It was a, a much broader mandate than the current NIDA has, uh, and it was the focus for federal activities uh, on, on, on treatment, uh, prevention, and research. And uh, it was a really uh, dramatic uh, contribution of the United States. Uh, you know, 80% of the drug research in the country and, and uh, is is goes on in the United States now and has all this time uh, because of the the uh, commitment that that uh, came from uh, the uh, the Nixon administration and these institutions are still uh, uh, carrying on and were started uh, at, at that point. So. Uh, it, 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 it fits with this uh, special message to Congress in the sense that it was all a comprehensive effort. It wasn't one thing or another. It was a very broad uh, uh, approach to the problem uh, and, and, and far-seeing, I think, uh, uh, approach. And there were you know, a number of, of heroes of that story. One of them uh, was uh, Eagle Krogh, uh, who was... Uh, uh, related to the District of Columbia, he was uh, the person that Walter Washington reported to, for example. But Eagle Krug was also handled crime and drugs for the Nixon administration, uh, and uh, I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for uh, how well he managed uh, that uh, that complicated portfolio uh, over over those years. Looking, looking back 50 years on, um, we still have a drug issue today. Um, there's intense federal um, focus on the drug issue. There's also you know, some states that are more or less conservative on the drug issue, and then there's also states that are pretty liberal about it. What do you think the nation can learn um, from the Nixon era about a national drug policy? Well, I, first of all, I think it, it needs to see it as a, as a top priority. It certainly was the Nixon administration, and it is now. So uh, recognizing just how uh, uh, important uh, this is uh, in all kinds of dimensions, including uh, public health, but also public safety uh, and, and uh, crime uh, is, is, is very important. Uh, and, but also seeing that it, that it needs to be uh, done in a uh, comprehensive way, uh, and that involves, you know, that that, that initial report uh, was focused not only on federal activity but state activity uh, and local activity, and, and that's very important too uh, to uh, to to understand that. Uh, it, it was the first time the country had ever really committed seriously to treatment uh, came out of uh, that administration, and that's. Uh, a mainstay of what's uh, going on today. Uh, it, it really has been, and I think still is, uh, largely a, uh, a bipartisan issue. You know, the, the, if I think about what 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 are the what what's being 
what's contested politically now uh, about drugs? Well, you, you go back to the, what was happening in 69 uh, to the marijuana issue. And, and uh, one of the things that this, this uh, report did was uh, led to the creation of what was called the Schaefer Commission report, the Marijuana Commission. And uh, that Nixon appointed uh, Raymond Schaefer, the former governor of Connecticut, I mean, of, of Pennsylvania, to, to uh, head that commission. And it came back recommending decriminalization. Uh, when I came into the White House office, uh, Nixon, through the person I related to, uh, explained it to me that uh, I could say whatever I wanted to about drugs, but if I supported legalist decriminalization of marijuana, I was out of there, and the idea was he was elected president, not me. Uh, I was mostly in heroin, so I didn't pay much attention to that. But but that marijuana issue you see is right at the center of things now, and and that that has been true all that period of time. And now there's a the big issue has to do with uh, legalization, uh, first of uh, of medical marijuana and now of recreational marijuana, uh, and that is a very big political issue. But it's not particularly partisan. There are lots of conservatives who, uh, who support uh, legalization and lots of liberals who don't. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's a complicated uh, issue, uh, but it's certainly very much on the forefront right now. And related to that is uh, the people who want to legalize marijuana basically don't just want to legalize marijuana. They're talking about all drugs. And I don't think people, the public has really grasped the fact uh, that this is a... Uh, uh, a, a much broader uh, agenda uh, that we're talking about than, than, than just marijuana. But one of the things that I find just amazing about what's happened now is the commercialization of marijuana and also CBD, uh, which is uh, uh, all the rage right now uh, going on. And that's, uh, uh, I, I think, uh, uh, worrisome in terms of making the marijuana and, uh, and other drugs more more widely available uh, and uh, with, with increased uh, health problems. But but to support drug treatment, for example, or drug prevention, isn't really very much of a partisan issue. Uh, I think that there's uh, lots of things that we need to do better about both prevention and treatment. But but I think we're building on a, a, a solid base uh, that is traced back to to, to the to the Nixon uh, administration, the world has changed a lot. Though uh, you know the, the synthetic drugs have become much more uh, uh, prominent. The agricultural drugs much less so. So that fentanyl becomes the problem, not so much heroin uh, anymore. And and it used to be the drugs you know had to grow as a crop, like marijuana is grown as a crop, uh, uh, or cocaine is grown as a crop. But increasingly, the drugs problems that we have are synthetic, so they come from a laboratory. And the emergence of uh, technology, the improvement in technology, has made that, that, that people can synthesize uh, drugs of abuse uh, in an almost limitless number, uh, very inexpensively, anywhere in the world. You don't have to be in a particular area of the world. And I think that presents a problem that, gosh, we never thought about in uh, 1969. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, I don't think people understand what the nature of the drug problem is. Commercialized recreational pharmacology. Uh, it's, it's a commercial interest uh, in uh, giving people, providing people with uh, uh, chemicals that super stimulate and hijack brain reward. Uh, and, 
It started out being a few drugs. That certainly was true in 1969. But now it's hundreds of drugs, and it will be thousands of drugs. Uh, and uh, they started out to be natural agricultural products, and they're becoming increasingly synthetic. Uh, and uh, it's a it's a it's a big challenge uh, uh, going forward. Uh, I think the the most striking statistic I can give to anybody is that uh, illegal drug users spend about a uh, hundred billion dollars a year to buy the drugs, and and th- that's the money that drives the uh, the trafficking. Uh, it's the drug users themselves who are driving this uh, this problem uh, with their money uh, in there, and and drug users themselves spend almost nothing on treatment. Treatment is provided by somebody else, not the drug users. It's the health insurance or government tax money, uh, and I think we don't have enough focus on on the users and their, their decisions and the biology uh, that leads to those decisions. And those are, those are creating uh, a lot of uh, challenges uh, for, uh, for how, we, how we deal with the, the, uh, with, with the drug problem. And the idea that it's sort of like the hula hoop and it's just gonna go away as a fad uh, is, not, is not true. And it's also not true that it's an American problem. It's a human problem and it's global. Uh, there's no, no question about that. Our guest today is Dr. Robert DuPont, psychiatrist and director of President Nixon's Special Action Office on Drug Abuse Prevention. Our topic was President Nixon's special message to the Congress on control of narcotics and dangerous drugs. Dr. DuPont, thank you so much for joining us. It's my privilege to be with you and to honor the uh, contributions of President Nixon to drug policy then and now. Please check back for future podcasts at nixonfoundation.org or on your favorite podcast app. This is Jonathan Mavrotis and your Belinda. 